We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, we're wrapping up this week, which hopefully, there's nothing guaranteed, but hopefully we'll be getting some guys back in the next week or two. We saw some practice photos and got some reports of Anthony Davis doing non-contact drills at practice. Got some you know, pictures of him getting uh, jumpers up. Got some video of it as well. Um, Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker are approaching their two-week reevaluation timeline, of which hopefully we'll get some good news there. And Mike, you, uh, I didn't realize what our record was. I've been so zeroed in on the day-to-day of it. But you said before the pod, you know, when Anthony Davis went down that he'd be out 17 games and we'd be eight and nine during those games. And I don't think that counts that first game where we beat Denver too. We would have taken it. And so we got the cavalry returning soon. And I'm just curious kind of where your head's at as we approach that point. Yeah, I, I just thought about it in the context of I, I was doing a, a different radio show yesterday and they basically asked about the Lakers in the context of like the, the doom and gloom, right. Of losing these games in the last week or so. And just all of the tight losses and, the pushback perspective was was simply that, Pete, that eight and nine without your best player. And Anthony Davis was the best player. LeBron, of course, can be the best player any given night against anybody in the league still. But in terms of both sides impact, right, even LeBron was the first to say that, that AD had gotten to that point. So they're, they've been just treading water a, a game below being at 500 there, especially with all of the games that the kind of coulda, woulda, shouldas. And the ones that they've won have been less so coulda, woulda, shoulda. They've won, you know, like this, the Kings game certainly could have gone either way. Uh, the Miami game could have gone either way. But most of the wins that they've had have been relatively decisive. Um, whereas most of the losses that they've had have been a possession or two away, mm-hmm. um, save for the occasional blowout, like at Denver, uh, right? Or, you know, at Miami that ended up being a 14-point game. So that's all. That It's just trying to find that, uh, trying to... to find what the Lakers have done to steady themselves at a somewhat reasonable level um, without Anthony Davis. And as the talk around his potential return comes back and coincides with that of Walker, 
who might be ready a little bit ahead of Reeves, just based on kind of the you know knee soreness versus hamstring strain, that kind of thing. That uh, that is where I think the overall sense of hope would come from internally, like from within the from within the organization, is that this has not gone as badly as it could have uh, once Davis went down, and it's just Darius. It's hard to not kick yourself from that perspective, thinking about the start to the season at two and 10, even if there were reasons for that, right. That we've been over, but they've, yeah, they've been ultimately fine. I think, and even probably better than that without AD, all things considered. Yeah. All things considered. One of the things that looms on me more than the two and 10 start, like we talked about the schedule before the season and we thought there were two things that I think there were two thoughts around this pete and and i remember you you talking about this a fair amount that the lakers best hope was to play well coming out of the season right that Mm. there was all of this stuff around like oh well the lakers need to trade russ need 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 Mm -hmm. and if they were going to be able to trade Russ, the asking price was not going to come down from what it was unless the Lakers proved to be some sort of functional basketball team. And baked into that idea was, well, there's going to be some growing pains. This team doesn't quite know what they are yet. They've got a whole new group, a whole new coaching staff, and so we knew it was going to be a big ask for that success to come, but that was their best path. I think we all understood, though, that the nature of the schedule and what that ask was, Darwin sort of having to finesse his way to get to the point in which I think he was going to get to the lineups which he thought were going to be best, which was basically bringing Russ off of the bench, that that was going to take some time. And then Dennis and TB got hurt and it was just like, oh man, like what is going on? And the Lakers couldn't make a jump shot and it probably went as bad as it possibly could. If I can add on to that, to the schedule as well, there are a couple teams like Utah starts out great like randomly and we played them twice in the first 12 games you know there were other little things like that too and so i lament the two and ten start less than i do all of the games not that the either way games i'm thinking of the games where it's just like well they're up two and it's a scramble possession and the ball The Lakers don't secure a defensive rebound. It gets sprayed out and Tyrese Halliburton swings the ball to a wide open teammate and he buries a three pointer that wins the game at the buzzer. I lament games where the Lakers are up three and there's less than 10 seconds left on the clock. And there's this idea of like, should we or should we not foul? They don't foul and a three pointer goes in to tie the game. And then the Lakers don't get a call on a final three-pointer. And then in another tie game, don't in overtime, when it's still tied, don't get a call at the basket. And then they lose in overtime. Or like there's so many games that bother that bother me from the context of like these weren't like either way games. They're do the thing that you know you have to do in these final possessions and you you win. win. You actually Mm -hmm. win. It's not (laughs) like, oh, it's a one-point game back and forth. Like, both teams have the opportunity to, like, do something here. It's just, like, one possession for all the marbles 
And the Lakers have stumbled in those situations way more than you would anticipate they would, because these aren't crunch time offense woes to me. It, it, like some of those were, but other times it's just like, just get a defensive stop and get a rebound or, or as Darwin said against the Mavs, like swarm, like swarm the mm-hmm. ball handler, who is one of his going to go down. as probably his generation's best or second best player and probably the elite sort of playmaker shot maker of his generation. Right. In mm-hmm. Luca. And so there's a, that's the stuff where it's just like, oh, man, because that eight and nine mark, Mike, suddenly then is what, like 11 and six. Maybe. And it's just like, oh, look at them. And and suddenly they're then better positioned in the standings and all of this other stuff. And so to me, two and ten was bad. And some of those were baked in with the like, oh, they're defending Russ with Zubots and no counters and this, this, that and the other. But these other ones, it's just like, oh, man, like I look at a team like the Kings and they're so good in crunch time. And then I look at a team like the Lakers and they just seem to lose all of these games. And it's just irksome. It bothers me, Pete. So that idea of unforced errors has been something that's been on my mind, of which one of the things I've liked about this season is that we've been forced to make it work in that just a a few things. There's a great deal more synergy between our personnel and our style of play. Our vet men guys are way better than they were last year. And there was no magical panacea where like, oh, we trade Russ and fix everything and it's all better. We've actually made a much more coherent team with Russell Westbrook, right? And we kind of have this outline and this shell to work with now where hopefully, Mike, as we get Lonnie back in, in Austin and AD, and which is not to say that there isn't some future injury or, or other guys that won't just continue this whole you know carousel that it's been throughout the last couple of seasons. But if we are able to get that elusive luck with health, we have some sort of structure and outline in place that's largely consisted of the tools that we've had at our disposal all along. And we've just figured more and more of it out. But to Darius's point, we have, there's a reason we're living a groundhog day in that the the way the season has gone is we've been forced to address mistakes, not from externally, but internally. There is no trade that we've made to bring in a guy that magically fixes it. It's like, no, how do we get better in this flawed group as we are? But there are still flaws. There are still things that need to be addressed. And part of that probably is external, in my opinion, at at least in terms of addressing it. But that, like, what can we fix with what we have, flawed as we are, is something that I think has laid a foundation for what's to come. I wanted to add a little context to, to with what the rest of the league has been dealing with without their best player to that earlier point. And then just to put this around it, and I haven't looked up every team, but I've gotten I'm close at this point. And the notable ones to me, so Dallas 0-5 without Luca, Chicago 1-3 without Levine. Now that's it's either best player. I I think so, but you know anyway. Brooklyn 1-4 without Kevin Durant. Uh, so those those certainly expected. Cleveland 2-4 without Mitchell. Charlotte not a good team anyway, but six and eighteen without Lamelo Ball. Uh, somewhat more reasonable when he plays, although still bad. Phoenix, this is a big one. Four and thirteen without Devin Booker. Uh, Clippers, ten and five without Kawhi. Six and ten without Paul George. Take your pick there. Golden State, six and eight without Curry. Uh, which, and that to me is more qualifying w- to where the Lakers are. So to be in that conversation with Golden State, who's deeper, that has more cohesion, 
right? Mm-hmm. That that um, has more veteran players, et cetera, is, is not bad. Portland, five and seven without Lillard. And then Jokic has only missed four games. Denver's two and two. Milwaukee's six and four without Giannis, which is actually impressive. New Orleans, nine and seven without Zion, um, which is impressive. And then Philly, seven and four without Embiid. Um, and I, I think Philly's probably a little better in terms of what their talent is. But the, the common denominator there is that nobody has been better all things considered than what the Lakers have been without Anthony Davis. And in, in this, well, actually that's my immediate reaction. I, I could poke a hole in it if I wanted to, but I, I'm curious if you guys are, if anything stands out amongst that and, and Pete adding in the context that you just provided. Oh, j- just to me that that 500 mark or being a little bit above it. And there were a couple of teams in there that, that outperformed that, that that is typically what teams look like when they lose really one of not only their top guys, but one of the top players in the whole league. And so it's just been so long since we've had a stretch where we were good, D, that it doesn't feel as good as it would. Like, for example, in that in the 2021 season, we start 21 and six. We just won the championship. We know we're a good team. It's just a matter. Okay, let's hold it down until the guys get healthy. But we know that we're good. We don't come into what's these last 35 games, Darius, with that same level of confidence, nor should we. Uh, But I do think that the that that the level that we've reached with Mike contextualizing it is right in line with what a good team can do when they're without their guys. Mike, did you happen to look up the numbers of where the Lakers are without LeBron? Uh, let me do it right now. And by, by the way, so, so two more. So Halliburton out, Pacers one and five, and Butler out, Miami seven and seven, which that's actually pretty good. I think the Bulls. So I think the numbers of the Bulls and the Warriors are interesting to me because there's a certain amount four and of six. There he is. Four and six without LeBron. Yeah, and and so. I think the Bulls and the Warriors um, interest me from the standpoint of there's a certain amount of burden sharing and of like these guys are these guys are foundational to the systems that the that the team runs and that there are quasi replacements available within there in order to keep the machine going to a certain level right and so, so like i look jordan at the pool type thing yeah yeah like okay so okay steph's out we're gonna play jordan pool we still have clay thompson we still have draymond green we're going to continue to be the warriors and we're going to be a lesser version of the warriors but we're still going to be that that team and not much is going to change and I think the same is true with the Bulls. Like they don't have Zach Levine. Well, guess what? Well, here's DeMar DeRozan. We're going to do a lot of the same stuff and we're going to continue to play the same style of basketball and not much is changing. You look at a team like Philly and Bede goes out and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, they're like, oh, oh, guess what? We get to do this other thing now. We're going to run. We're going to play faster. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And we're going to change up. And that sort of inversion of the scouting report pete i think can be of a benefit to a team like philly Great point right mm-hmm. and and so that's not to say that philly's not a good team or a smoke and mirrors or anything like that at all i just think it's a different look and a lot of teams don't have the benefit of that different look the lakers meanwhile have been like oh well lebron's out like all right well we got to depend on russ a little bit more and in some of these games ad's not even playing and so it's just like it's russ and dennis and thomas bryant and they've done their best but it's not the same well and 
you look at those other teams you were just talking about, Philly, Golden State, they know what they are in the first place way more than the Lakers do. Golden State being the pinnacle of that. And so the Lakers don't even have a thing to revert to in the first place uh, where, you know what I'm saying? Like this period, that said though, this period of time I thought was, has been very valuable in terms of growing synergy between Russ and LeBron and just the, how the team plays with AD off of the court. So let's take a quick break when we come back. Let's get into that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think the Russ and LeBron point, Pete, is something that is worth hammering now at this point. Um, I actually have a post coming up at Silver Screen and Roll that should drop today, I think, in advance of the Grizzlies game. But the numbers that the Lakers are posting in offensive and defensive efficiency when Russ and LeBron share the floor are mm-hmm. super intriguing. And so I'm sure you have these numbers dialed up, Pete. And so talk to me about what you're seeing with that duo and sort of where you're at with that. All right. So give me one second to dial up the numbers. I did not have my uh, Excel spreadsheet open. So let me say this then. In my column, I wrote that this season, the Lakers are, I think, plus 8.3 per 100. Like they have a 0.8.3 net rating with LeBron and Russ on the floor. And there's some other stats that go in to that. Like I looked up some stuff at cleaning the glass and how much more they they get out in transition when those two are on the court and not only how much more they're getting out, out in transition, but how much more efficient they are in transition when those two share the court and what they're doing defensively and, and how much better their defensive numbers are, not necessarily from when those two are off the court, but what their season long numbers are. So they're basically performing better on both sides of the ball when Russ and LeBron are in the game, which is not something that you would have thought was going to be the case coming into the season. So not only was it not something we would have expected, it was something that reportedly, at least, that the coaching staff thought that the way to maximize this was to separate LeBron and Russ as much as possible. But one of the things that's actually happened is that they've learned how to kind of catalyze each other in that. So I don't know, Mike, it's just been one of the interesting storylines. And it's also combined with the fact that when the other is off the court, both of their numbers absolutely crater. So I'm going to pull those up right now, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Mike. Yeah, so I'm going to do just a strictly eye test here, and then, Pete, you can kind of fact check me. 
um, based on what you've seen. And to me, I'm just giving LeBron more of the credit for sort of, and, and this not this will shock you guys, but <laughs> getting him to, to almost have to play at that pace, despite what, and, and the downside to that, I think we've seen some of that in this, just in the last game into him saying how exhausted he's been, but like LeBron is running. LeBron is running a ton. And in seasons past, it almost became a, a, a known thing around the NBA that LeBron actually wanted to slow the pace down and LeBron wanted to execute in the half court and he wanted to save possessions. It's certainly later in his career, right? But back in the Miami days, it, 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 Cleveland days, it was everything worked, whatever he wanted to do. But even in those cases, he still often would slow the pace down and, and teams would be like, well, why it's LeBron. He's the greatest transition player ever. Why doesn't he just want his teams to get up and down the floor? But this year, it seems like that, that not only is it more effective for LeBron, I think, for, and, and he's sort of recognized that, but that is the way that you can play next to Russ in those lineups and you can't slow it down as much and have success there. So I don't know if that's just an obvious point, but it's a, it's one where I think Russ has been the benefit of being on the court in those, those times when LeBron has gotten up and down. So I'm sure I'm missing some things there and would love to have you jump back in. So I credit LeBron more than Russ too, because LeBron is the more versatile player. And so one of the things I wrote in my post at Silver Screen and Roll is that one of the things that Coach Ham has done, and Pete, yep. this is where I want to sort of, uh, where I really do want you to, to jump in, is Coach Ham has said, this is what your strengths are. We're going to let you play to those strengths. LeBron has more strengths than Russell Westbrook. He is a great cutter. He has great instincts as, as a cutter. He's a great screener. He's better in the post. He's a better outside shooter. And so LeBron is the more natural off-ball worker, right? And so what they've done is when they've put those two together is that in the half court, at least, they have said, well, Russ, you get to handle the ball more because if we put you off of the ball, you're going to be you're actually going to be more of a harmful player. Now, they're not saying that, but that's what the numbers say. It's not going to be effective, Pete, if you put Russ in the corner and say, hey, go stand in the corner for 80 percent of your possessions. While like we do in the last five the minutes of the actual like we do in the last yes. five minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yes. But that speaks to a different problem, which is like that's yes. basically crunch time basketball. And mm -hmm. so then what do you do with Russ? That's a that's a different conversation. For sure. All and I'm saying is that that illustrates your point. That's what that looks like if you play that way. Yes. And so I credit LeBron in a different way than Mike was just talking about in that LeBron's versatility as a half court operator is what's to me, unlocking a fair amount of what these numbers are. Mm -hmm. But for the transition point, I actually credit Russ. It's just like, Russ is the one who's just like, hey man, we're running. I don't care, outlet me the damn ball. And and LeBron is just like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run too, I guess. Because to Mike's point, I think LeBron's natural inclination is to also take advantage of the transition opportunities that are there. And there is no player whose eyes get wider when he sees a certain like deficit in transition than LeBron. He's yeah, less like, right. oh, a free lane to the basket. He's leading the league in transition points per game. So a free lane to the basket. Thank you very much. But Russ is seeking out transition opportunities where there are none. 
And that is leading to easier baskets while both are on the court that I think there's like a synergy where they're both uplifting each other in transition in a very specific way. But but Pete, please, I want to hear your thoughts on the entire partnership. Yeah. So let's separate that from the half court offense, right? Because I think that Mike's point is spot on, your point is spot on. And I would, uh, I'd love to look that up. I'll try to look that up before the, the next pod. But I've seen a great improvement in their half-court abilities. And when they play together, LeBron becomes a dominant role man. And this really, like, the the person I probably credit most in this equation is actually Darwin, in that the he's found a way to get synergy between the two of them. And it unlocks a version of LeBron that you're not used to guarding for the rest of the game that really plays toward his physical on the ground strength. So if he's a role guy, this is setting screens, it's sealing, it's making sure that you cut at the right time, which is where his intellect and IQ come into play. So like a role man who really knows what he's doing and thinks like a passer and is strong and can post seal. And then a, a ball handler, a passer who's really amongst the best who's ever done it at making these types of reads where it's a quick read and you got to hit an outside hand on a guy on a guy who's on the move rolling to the basket like that's a great combination and that's why you see the offensive rating so high along with the transition opportunities but these are i guess the overall point is that it generates really high level offense i'm more skeptical on the defensive end and i think that one of the like watching the Thomas Bryant storyline develop over the course of AD being out to the point where like we're watching games and we're like, man, it's so easy to score on him that I think that we need to evaluate what you need around LeBron and Russ uh, in context. But the the fact that they've really found they found their groove in this stretch, Mike, where AD's been out is something that can bear fruit down the line. And thus we get back to kind of the questions of what. Do they make a trade, right? Is there that one more body uh, that mm. can come in? How does AD look? Um, because the the reports that have been coming in about AD, and I was writing about this for the preview today, um, giving Darius a rare off day. I mean, there, it's all been, it hasn't been, you have not heard setback yet. It's been pa- mostly pain-free. He's doing more. Okay, now he's doing some running. Now he's doing some jumping. Now he actually jumped in on a couple of drills. That was the update from practice yesterday. Okay, so what comes up from there? What comes from there is contact. And what comes from there is, did he do the contact without pain? And then what comes, the next point is like an actual simulated scrimmage where it's maybe it's some of the guys that don't play a lot. Maybe it's a couple of the coaches, but basically you're mm-hmm. you're getting up and down. And I think when AD gets to that point, that's when even some of the good assistant coaches have to drop out because it's just, all right, no, we, we need the actual, <laughs> we need the actual Yeah, the players. guys who played in college, but were like a yeah. bench guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're and like, they're damn good. I mean, we, Pete, you've been there and watched some of these guys oh, yeah. on the staff get up and down, but you know, there's, yeah. there's just a different level between if AD is getting even close to up and down, you have to have, you know, you have to have Wendy Gabriel come out maybe and play a little bit, like just mm-hmm. to, just to see if you can test him some, but that that's to me where where I've been I've sort of allowed my eyebrow to go from the from the totally slanted like a, I, I really need to see this to it's getting a little bit closer to neutral um, okay. but it's still <laughs> it's still not all the way there until those hurdles get cleared but that's where that is where I'm starting to think now with the rest of the roster and then this is also Darius and I talked about this yesterday but this is where you take in into account what's happening in the rest of the Western Conference. And the fact that the door has not closed in terms of getting into that range um, of the of the bottom side of the playoffs, that is still within some level of reason. 
And yet, you know, they're going to hit a difficult portion of this schedule uh, again. And, and so it's just a, that's always been, it's been kind of weighing against, right? These things all kind of fight against each other. Um, yes. As you try to figure out what's going to happen with the rest of the season, there's there's a lot going on. I, I've been shaking my head at that, Mike, at that like I called this portion of the season kind of a window of opportunity for us before right before AD where it was like and what I meant by that, I think it was like a 16 or 17 game stretch I was talking about was like, yeah, we can go. 11 and five during this stretch of games with, you know, a lot of teams that don't have a ton of rim protection. We can really attack the basket and exploit that January, late December basketball is not the most serious portion of the season. Like a lot of factors kind of in place, but it's like, oh, we lose AD. And all of a sudden that 11 and five or, you know, 13 and seven type of thing becomes a, you know, you know, becomes an under 500 record or right around there. And then, when it looks like we're going to be getting some guys back is also when it's like, a, you know, Grammy trip on the East Coast. But that said, when I look a little further in the distance, D, I see an end of this year where we can really go on a run. And so that that idea, I want to bring it back to the idea uh, to the idea of a trade and just kind of where are you at at this point on the thoughts of, of a trade and and how it would fit into where we want to go? They need to make a trade. What kind of trade? A trade for another perimeter player who is either a shooting guard or a small forward who can play in a closing lineup and hit a jump shot and can slot into lineups with both LeBron and AD and potentially LeBron, AD, and Russ and help. <laughs> like, it's it's funny because... For a lot for the longest time, I thought, well, what the team really needs is a combo forward, and they could still use a combo forward. I think another forward in general would be great. And the player in my mind that I imagine would be most useful here is actually like a three-two, like a pure wing, basically. A pure wing who is like six eight, something like that, who can hit some jumpers and ideally could survive. Who, who could at least survive on on defense. And if the Lakers really want to be a great team, like actually be good on defense. Now, look, players like that rarely exist. You're not going to get one for free. And the complications of all of that are robust. And we don't need to dive into that part of things again. But it's just like, I look at the outline of what a team is with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I look at, okay, well, here's what it looks like with Dennis Schroeder. And here's what it looks like with Russell Westbrook. And this is what it looks like with Austin Reeves. And here's a little bit of Lonnie Walker. And, oh, add a Troy Brown here. Or this is what it looks like with Wendell Gabriel playing this spot. Or Thomas Bryant. And suddenly you find groupings where you're just like, hey, like this actually isn't a bad mix of seven or eight players. Mm -hmm. Where what's the connective piece that actually isn't there Yeah, for this group? And to me, it's like another like wing type of guy who is just like, oh, well, Lonnie doesn't have it tonight. Let's play this guy. That's sort of what I'm looking for. Are you looking for something different? So it's the the one pushback I have from watching this stretch of games is I'm concerned about our ability to play defense when AD isn't on the floor. And even when he is on the floor. Now, this guy can be helped resolve that to some degree as well. But basically my question is how important is it? Like, can we win 12 minutes a game in the playoffs D with Wenyan Gabriel and LeBron James 
as our four five and still be able to field a good enough defensive team to to tread water when Anthony Davis isn't in the game. Sure. So let me tell you this. In 144 minutes this season where LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Wenyon Gabriel have been on the court and Thomas Bryant has not, the Lakers have a defensive rating of 101.4. They also mm. have an offensive rating of 128.7. So they're a plus Let's go, man. 27. Man, there have been a couple lineups like that and, and like three four-man groups that are lighting the world on fire in very small samples that I would love to see more. Yeah. And so – It's just like, look, I'm not projecting that sort of success against the Denver Nuggets when Jokic is on the floor or whatever. But it's just like you can't you're not building a roster where it's just like, hey, well, we're going to be impervious to everything. Of course, one of our best. Right. It's just like what you're trying to do is win. And I said this in the post that's going to go up today, but. In order to be in position to win the game at the end, you have to win other parts of the game too, right? It's just like, it's the natural flow of the game, Mike. And so there's going to be a six minute stretch where you've only got one of your starting five or one of your two or three best players on the court at any given time. And what do you do in those minutes when it's like AD and a bunch of bench players? What do you do when it's LeBron and Wenyon Gabriel and Russell Westbrook? What do you do when it's Russ and Wenyon and Thomas Bryant? What do you do when it's, when it's, when it's, when it's, when it's? And the Lakers have found ways to win portions of those games way more often than what you would expect. What they have not been able to do is close those games out and actually turn those games into victories. And that's where not having LeBron and AD for an extended stretch of time again and able to close out some of these games where you don't necessarily have to play Russ, right? Because the rest of these things work in tandem together. It's just like, that's what they've been missing. And so when I'm talking about a trade, it's just like, build out a functional five-man lineup at the end of the game that's just like, okay, well, mm-hmm. we feel like these five dudes are going to win us the basketball game. And when you start with LeBron and AD, I feel pretty comfortable at that point. You're you're a lot of the way there. And so that's why I'm still advocating for a deal the way that I am. You know, as I'll, I'll try to be consistent in saying that, of course, right, you would want to make a deal uh, if it's a good deal. And that's the caveat to all of this. And you don't know that you don't know what's going to present itself and, and what the ask is going to be back. But there's no reason to get into all that again. Uh, I, I, I agree with the general principle there. What I want to do is also, and this isn't a positive thing, but point out that the clock is ticking and it's ticking pretty fast. And for as much as I've talked about the play-in being still within reach, you know, mm-hmm. even if Anthony Davis comes back a little bit sooner than some people might expect, it's you know, it's going to take him a process to get back to being the Anthony Davis that he was. And within that context, everybody else needs to stay healthy, you know, knock on wood. And so there's just, and then what is going to happen? Golden State's going to get better. Some of these teams are going to get healthier too. Phoenix is going to get healthier at a certain point, right? Um, Portland, Portland's a little odd because they've been mostly healthy and have still been going in the wrong direction, but Minnesota is going to get healthier. The Clippers, you would think, you can't, you certainly can't project that they're going to be healthy because they never have, but you would think they would be at least slightly healthier than they have been. So it's just a, the, the start is going to wear uh, right on this team. And I think we all, we all know that. And so I'm pointing out some of the obvious here. It's just, it can't be as simple as thinking they're going to get AD back. 
Walker Reeves are going to be healthy. Everybody's going to stay healthy. They're going to find cohesion. They're going to make a trade and then they make their run there. There are so many things that have to go right there, but that's the way that they have to be thinking uh, internally. It's just that I'm, I'm wanting to point out that these things are going to be difficult. This has always been a season where a lot of things had to go right. I, I mean, I think that's been part of baked into the equation since the beginning. The one thing I would say is that this team's shown a great deal of resilience and that they've fought hard, even in and it even our frustrating uh crunch time difficulties are in part a function because we rarely get blown out by a team and we can hang into games that maybe we normally wouldn't with the a talent deficit. And so there's a certain amount of fight and a certain amount of like also Results, the the eight and nine, which is very likely to be an eight and ten after a game against the the Grizzlies tonight, right? Um, and who knows what it looks like when everybody actually does come back. But I think they've shown a certain degree combined with a certain amount of like lack of the West separating itself, where like you can't assume that the other teams are gonna be healthy as well. You just mentioned, you know, six or seven teams where I would venture a guess one or two of them, I don't know which ones actually aren't going to be as healthy as they are now. There's going to be something that happens. We might be one of those teams, right? <laughs> like It could all fall off as we've known and seen over the last few years. But I've also seen a good week. I've watched teams go from 13 to 7 in a week. You know, and we can be one of those teams and we it's something where we just got to get to the playoffs. If we got to get to the the seven game uh, series, everything resets at that point. And so the one thing I, I, I wanted to add regarding the trade market is that my thought has changed from that we need third best player on the team type, and that would be great, right? But I think that we have role player needs in specific ways and also the ballast to get there uh, that may not be as big of a deal. I think we probably need two different players, but if they're role guys, I think that's okay. And when I say role guys, I, I mean could be part of that closing five D and I I'm with you on that idea that we need a, a closing lineup. I think the swing player in that, in that though is Russell Westbrook, because I think the guys you need around a LeBron AD Russell Westbrook trio are probably different than you need around one that does not include Russ. And so that's one of the things I'm curious about is when we build out that closing lineup, which is super important to do, where do you factor Russell Westbrook into the equation? Well, this is where it's difficult to say if the closing lineup should be the same each night, right? And so by necessity, a lot of times this season, it has not been. And Darwin has walked an interesting line, Mike, in terms of sometimes going back to Russ and sometimes not. Lately, it's been he's been going back to him, but that's because all of the guards are hurt. And so would he be going back to Russ if Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker were available? Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure. Would he be going back to Russ if Dennis Schroeder actually was playing well like he was a couple of weeks ago, whereas right now he's not? And there's a lot of if this, then that. But now it's this. So now that now it's like a lot of and I think in an ideal world your five best players start the game your five best players close close the game and hey in the middle we'll we'll mix and match and get to the spots but we don't live in an ideal world and so I agree with you Pete I also think that the players that you're describing if they're good enough basketball players they'll play with whoever and that right. was one of the things I appreciated point. about the championship 
team from a few seasons ago. It's like not everyone closed any given night, but you know mm-hmm. what? If if KCP closed one night and didn't the next night because Kyle Kuzma was in there or because Alex Caruso was in there or because Rajon Rondo was in there, it all just sort of fit because they were good basketball players. And oh, this time it's Danny Green, Mike. And, and so there's a lot that you can do with good basketball players. And that's why get me more of those. And yeah, I'll be let's happy. get a couple good basketball players. <laughs> yeah. I was going to think about the 1920 season for a second there because they absolutely did not have the same exact closing group every time, but they had a structure. And so when, whether it was green or KCP guys Mm -hmm. were, there were a little bit more in terms of replaceable parts other than the Rondo thing. Cause when Rondo was in and that shifted LeBron some, but, but that was all like it because LeBron and AD were so were there the whole time and they were the hub. uh, You could be very diverse with the other parts and I think it's a little bit, it's not the same when it's LeBron and Russ, right? When things do need yes. to be much more specific. That's exactly my point is that like if Russ, if we're baking Russ into the closing lineup in big time games, you have to make sure you account for him. If we've learned anything from these last couple of years, the value of putting a, a you know good structure or structure that fits what, what he does is important, or we have to put ourselves in a position where he doesn't have to close the game and we're still able to win it. Because that's one of the things that in the framing of like, oh, it's because of Russ that we lose these games. We are also losing these games when Russ does not close oftentimes. And so that to me is what we need to resolve with that type of move. All right, this has been fun. Hopefully we can, uh, we can surprise them tonight. We will be back on Monday to talk more Lakers. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.